is painful, but uh, we'll get through it. Uh, one respect, it's uh, it's uh, the beginning of sorrows. It's accelerating its return. Uh, one of my dear brothers uh, back on that camera said it's kind of like watching Star Wars when you see those stars passing you so very fast. They're accelerating. Amen. So, uh, and uh, I'm going to start with. Um, Philippians 4, 6, 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a comforting, comforting scripture? Well, if you don't know it, it's Philippians 4, 6, 7. Mark it in your Bible and uh, enjoy it daily because it will restore you and give you strength. Amen. <clears throat> so we're going to do ja uh, Joshua chapter 7 tonight. And it's called The Defeat at AI. And it's very interesting. It really gives us some insight into Israel and, and Joshua and God and how he functions. And you'll see his incredible power. Amen. So uh, let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you, Father, for all things. We love you. We praise you. Uh, we know that you love us and care for us, and you have a hedge of protection around us. And for that, we are so thankful, Father, because we trust in you and we believe in you, and we know that you will take us through this. So, Father, we just turn this night over to you for you to be glorified, and we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's get started. 7-1, Joshua. <clears throat> but the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. So, what was the last thing we read in chapter 6? It was verse 27. So the Lord was with Joshua, was he not? And all his fame spread throughout all the land, right? So as the chapter opens, something has happened. Something has gone wrong. The wonderful victory has somehow been marred, okay? It looks like one man, one man, was disobedient to God's commands. And that's essentially what this is about to happen. Everything living was to be put to death and valuable objects were to be dedicated to the Lord's treasury. Amen? No Israelite soldier was to help himself to the booty. But that temptation was too strong for one man. God sees and knows everything. He certainly saw Achan's sin and taking some of the devoted things and because of it, God's wrath burned against the entire nation. Now think about that. One man, his sin, it affected the entire nation of Israel. Two and a half million people. Two to two and a half million people. <clears throat> he considered them collectively responsible and withheld his blessing until the matter was made right. In fact, it's apparent that Israel's history would have ended here if God's anger had not been turned away. 
Verse 2, Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Aven, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. Unaware of Achan's disobedience and eager to take advantage of the first victory <clears throat> after the walls of Jericho went down, Joshua made preparations for the next battle by sending uh, spies 10 miles northwest of Jericho to Ai, which was east of Bethel. This seems to have been his regular practice. Beth Aven, house of evil. Beth Aven means house of evil. Later was nicknamed uh, for Bethel, house of God. But here it seems to be another place about three miles north of Ai. Three. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not worry all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. In other words, this doesn't look too bad at all. <clears throat> when the spies returned, they said it was a piece of cake. They said that Ai could easily be conquered with only two or three thousand men. The city uh, had only a few men, they said, and, but the spies were wrong. Actually, Ai had 12,000 men and women, or about 6,000 men. Later, when God gave the orders to Joshua, he told them, take the whole army. Take the whole army, though smaller than Jericho. Ai was well fortified and her soldiers well entrenched. Israel was guilty of underestimating the strength of her enemy and of overestimating her own strength. In other words, they were drinking their own bathwater, as I say so frequently, believing their own press. On this occasion, there's no mention of prayer and no evidence of dependence on God. Did the red light just go off? That's our first clue, huh? I want you to look ahead in your Bibles to Joshua 9.14a. Actually, I'll read it to you. Uh, and here it is. It's short, but it says, But they did not ask counsel of the Lord. Very important. Everything we do, you know that. The calamity that fell on Israel was due at least in part to minimizing the enemy and uh, to assuming that their last win guaranteed another win. Yesterday, victory does not make a believer immune from defeat today. He must continually depend on the Lord for strength. I think those words are so basic and so incredibly true, don't you? So true. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. They fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Is that understandable? After where they've been in that incredible victory with Jericho? <clears throat> Pardon me. But Joshua sent only 3,000 men to Ai, uh, where they not only did not get a win, they were soundly thrashed, weren't they? They were chased down a steep pass, which they had so confidently climbed up in the morning, till the pursuers caught them at the stone quarries, where 36 Israelite soldiers were killed. The rest escaped and returned to camp. As the report of the defeat spread rapidly through the camp, 
the people were utterly demoralized. The hearts of the people melted and became like water. Even though this was Israel's only defeat in the seven-year conquest of Canaan, the significant matter was not the loss itself or even the death of the 36 soldiers. Israel was suddenly filled with terrible doubt that the Lord's help had been withdrawn. Can you imagine the fear? I can. They knew of no reason why it should have been, but God changed his mind. What's up? What's going on? Six, seven, and eight, then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel and they put dust on their heads and Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hands of the Amorites? To destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelled on the other side of the Jordan. O oh Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? One more verse 9. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? <clears throat> Joshua also was stunned by the defeat. In keeping with ancient rites of mourning, the leader and the elders tore their clothes and the elders put dust on their heads. That was common in circumstances like this. They fell on their faces before the ark of the Lord till evening. And Joshua verbalized his thought and he asked the Lord three questions. I'll paraphrase them for you. Number one, why did you bring us here to destroy us? Number two, what can I say now that Israel has been defeated? And number three, what then will you do to protect your reputation? Joshua seemed to blame God for the defeat and didn't even consider that the cause might have been elsewhere. Or for that matter, that he had anything to do with it. In his <clears throat> first question, he even adopted the thinking of the spies against whom he had so strenuous, strenuously uh, protested at Kadesh, Numbers 14, 2 and 3. Joshua's greatest concern was that the news of this defeat might somehow reduce the respect of the heathen for God's own great name. He was concerned for God's great name. Consequently, their name would be wiped out, that is, they would be destroyed and never remembered. Now let's talk about the sin of Achan in verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up! Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken some of the accursed things, and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. I love the Lord's reply. I just love it. Get up, stand up. What are you doing lying on your face? God is so straight up. God then explained the reason for their defeat and the need for action. The cause of the disaster was with Israel, not God. Israel had sinned. God charged Israel with sinning, violating the covenant. Some had taken some of the accursed things, in other words, things devoted for or designated for destruction or another purpose. 
They had stolen and deceived, and further he said that they had put it among their own stuff, possessions. The goods are named in verse 21. Until these transgressions, transgressions were dealt with and expiation made for them, the sin of one person was considered the sin of the nation. The sin of one person is considered the sin of the nation. Therefore the children of Israel, verse 12, cannot stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Seem harsh to you? One guy had hijacked an entire nation through his acts. After the fall of Jericho was recorded, so the Lord was with Joshua. But now the difficult announcement came from God. I will not be with you anymore unless the sin is judged and the devoted things are destroyed. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there's an accursed thing in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes. <clears throat> and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to the families. And the family which the Lord takes shall come by households. And the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. He's breaking it down, isn't he? Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. The Lord then revealed the steps to be followed in the purging process. First, the people were, con first they were to consecrate themselves. No victory over their enemies was possible till this problem was dealt with. Second, they were to gather on the next day to identify the offender, presumably by casting lots, exposing first the guilty tribe, then the clan, then the family, and finally the individual. Can you picture this? This is God and with all his glory and power, and, and you just see how, how in, incredible he is. Third, the guilty person and everything he owned, all his possessions, not merely the stolen goods, were then to be burned. The sin was considered by God a disgraceful thing. Achan's sin was in direct, deliberate disobedience to God's instruction. Uh, chapter 6, verse 18, And it made the entire nation of Israel susceptible to destruction if the Israelites did not destroy the Canaanites' goods. God might destroy the Israelites. Starting in 16, so Joshua arose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, 12 tribes, right? And the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah and he took the family of the Zarhites and he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man, and Achan the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. <clears throat> Joshua rose early in the morning on that fateful day and 
All Israel was assembled for the ritual of determining the offender. This was probably done by drawing lots, but it could also have been by taking inscribed potsherds, P-O-T-S-H-E-R-D-S, out of a jar. I'll explain what they are. Potsherds were fragments of broken pottery. Since paper, papyrus, was in extremely short supply, potsherds contained tax receipts, military correspondence, and other short bits of information. That was long before the post-it notes that we so heavily rely on today. So, I, I mean, that's probably hard for you to even fathom, but... But since God knew who was guilty, why didn't he simply reveal his identity to Joshua? He could have done that easily, huh? The answer is that this dramatic method would leave a far greater impression on the nation of Israel into the seriousness of disobeying God's commands. Now, since the method took time, it would also give the guilty person an opportunity to repent and confess his sin. Two million, two and a half million people, you knew what you did. You're standing there. Can you imagine your conscience, if you still had one? Can you imagine two million, two and a half million people standing there, and it was you? And you knew it was you, didn't you? Sure you did. <clears throat> if Achan had responded in this way and thrown himself on the mercy of God, no doubt he would have been pardoned, as was the guilty uh, David centuries later, Psalm 32, 1 through 5, and 51, 1 through 12, which you should know very well. Can you imagine the suspense and the silence as the process narrowed from the selection of the tribe of Judah to the clan of the Zarahites, then to the family of Zimri, and finally to the trespass himself, trespasser himself, Achan? This was no random chance or quirk of fate. It was the direction of God's providence. Solomon described the process well. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Proverbs 16.33. He directed them. The Lord was in control. 19. Now Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you've done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I've done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold, weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And, and, they, and there they are, hidden in the earth, in the midst of my tent, with the silver under it. He buried him under his tent, didn't he? Strangely, Achan had remained silent throughout the entire procedure, although I'm sure that he was scared to death, and rightfully so. The Lord, uh, the Lord God was not one to be trifled with, was he, is he? Joshua addressed Achan tenderly but firmly, for though Joshua hated the sin, he did not despise the sinner. He still loved the sinner. 
a public confession confirming the supernatural exposure of the guilty person was necessary. Achan's response was straightforward and complete. He confessed his sin and gave no excuses. But neither did he express sorrow for disobeying God's order or, or ask for mercy from God. Consequently, he betrayed his nation for booty and caused the defeat of Israel's troops and the death of 36 men. I cannot imagine personally why he didn't ask the Lord God for mercy. Please forgive me. I've sinned against you, Most High God. I, I'm asking you for mercy. Please be merciful and forgive me. He didn't. He didn't do that. Any remorse he may have felt was probably only because he got caught, but I hope not. The three crucial steps in Achan's sins are familiar. He saw, he coveted, he took. Eve took the same steps in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, 6, as did David with Bathsheba, 2 Samuel 11, 2-4. The objects Achan took from Jericho and hid in the ground inside his tent included A, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, perhaps acquired by someone in Jericho who traded with a Babylonian, and I imagine it was so ornate and beautiful and gold threads and things like that, I can just uh, visualize it. B, 200 shekels of silver, weighing about five pounds. And here we are, C, the grand prize, a 50 shekel or 11 and a quarter pound wedge of gold. 11 and a quarter pound wedge of gold. Maybe he can justify this stuff. Here's a beautiful new and stylish garment and some silver and gold. How could God want to keep these things from me? They'll never be missed. And I'm entitled to some pleasure and prosperity, but there was a specific command against taking any of Jericho's booty. Joshua told the people that all the silver and gold were to be put in the Lord's treasury. Joshua 6.19 God's word can never be rationalized away with some price to pay. Picking up in 22, so Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, Achan's sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Accor. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord with this heard me and Siri's telling me the answer to the Valley of Hecor. Fascinating, huh? Oh my. We have to be careful of this day and age, don't we? 24, Joshua and all the silver with him, Achan took the sons of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. 
And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with, burned them with fire after they had stoned him with stones. Tough? Difficult? Yeah. But necessary. How difficult this would have been to consider Israel was being held hostage for this sin. All of Israel. Two and a half million people. Achan's confession was quickly verified. The stolen objects were found where they said they were. They were then spread out before the Lord to whom they belonged. Then the man was led out to the valley of Achor with the stolen items, all his family, his animals, and all his other belongings. They all had to die. Do you think that this Achan had processed? Do you think he processed that when he made the decision to take the stuff? I know. How could you? Just the, the lust of the moment, the covetousness of the moment. Achan, by taking something that was under the ban, became accursed himself. Deuteronomy 7.26 It may seem harsh that all of Achan's family shared in his fate, but sin is a serious matter. Rahab, remember her? Just a couple of weeks ago, she was in Jericho. Rahab's faith saved her entire household. Achan's sin condemned his. Besides, they must have been aware of his activity since the stolen goods were buried under their tent. Perhaps the children even participated in his sin. The lesson God was teaching his people was clear. Sin defiles the whole camp and it must be totally eradicated whenever it surfaces. <clears throat> Pardon me. His punishment for his crime, Achan and his household were stoned to death and then burned. Also burned were all his possessions as well as the stolen goods. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from his, the fierceness of his anger. Therefore the name of that place has been called the Valley of Accor to this day. It ended by the raising of a historic marker, a large pile of rocks over the body of Achan. This seems to have been a common method of burial for infamous individuals. It served in this case as a warning to Israel against the sin of disobeying God's specific express commands. The Hebrew word for Achan and the core are probably related. Achan means, in Hebrew, troubler. He was buried in the valley of Accor, the valley of trouble. But because Israel was willing to deal with the sin problem in her midst, God's burning anger was turned away and he was ready to lead them again to victory. I cannot think of a <clears throat> more profound message on the significance of sin. Can you? Just think about it. Sin is something that some of us understand, some don't. Uh, the more you get to know it, the more you hate it. And it keeps you separated from God. And that's what I've been teaching on that lately on Sundays in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 11, and the ramifications of 
continuing to sin habitually. That won't work. At some point in your life, you must quit. You must quit. You must repent. And God doesn't tell us when that time is. I think we have to determine that by relationship with Him. Amen. So let's pray and let's get the worship team back in there. Father God, we just praise you and thank you for this wonderful message tonight. And uh, we love you and we thank you because, Father, we know that you have us in your hands and you have a hedge of protection around us and you're caring for us and providing for us. And for that, we give you all the thanks and grace and glory. So we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.